Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. Psalms together. So if you're newer or just recently visiting our church family, we've been in this series together called The Summer of Wisdom. And uh, we've been reading the classic wisdom literature, which is Job, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. And now we're going to be closing out this series with what's known as wisdom poetry, uh, the book of Psalms. And so as we start this today, the book of Psalms, I think about what's recently happened uh, in our country yet again. We have had mass shootings over the last week or so. Uh, Many people innocently murdered, and this has become a very regular occurrence in our culture. And a lot of times we can feel, or at least I can, I assume that other people are like me, although that's probably not a safe assumption at all times, we can feel despair. We can feel confusion and depression and discouragement and anger and indignation at the injustice in the world. And we could be talking about a lot of things that make us feel that way, right? Whether it's mass shootings or racial injustices or all sorts of things that are very commonplace in our world. And we start to wonder, can my individual life really make much of a difference? Can my individual life make a difference in all of this pain and suffering and injustice that I see and experience in the world? And it can feel like we're trying to push against the ocean. You ever tried to do that? You ever tried to push against the ocean? It doesn't work very well. But I think that we can find some wisdom in the ancient book of Psalms to help us. Because the book of Psalms, sometimes referred to as a collection, as the Psalter, this book can help us because it is age-old writings and poems and songs and prayers, people struggling through the emotional gamut of life, the lowest of lows and the darkest of holes and the highest of highs and jubilation and joy and everything in between. This is the book of Psalms. And probably some of the most famous passages in all of the Bible come from this book. Does anybody know what Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Perhaps one of the most popular passages of the Bible in recent history. Right here from the book of Psalms. Thousands of year old wisdom literature. So the Psalter is ancient Hebrew poetic wisdom literature, and roughly a third are laments, mostly by an individual. Roughly a third are praise songs, 
and roughly a third are prayers. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this video that's going to give us an overview of the book of Psalms. We've been talking about poetry in the Bible, how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite us into an experience, to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to look at here. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. And here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms, and so are exiled from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope, about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah, or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's beautiful, but who's it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis? After humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness. Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel. Yes, David's story is really important in this book. 
He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. And he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, it resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and bad. Exactly. There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets. And they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so the end result is the book of Psalms, designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. So this is the introduction to this collection of exile poems. So what kind of wisdom for our modern world would exile poems from thousands of years ago have to do with us, right? You think about what was just talked about on the video, that these were written largely during a time of exile. It's hard for us to relate to that, for many of us, especially the Westerners amongst us that have enjoyed our freedoms and enjoyed our privilege and enjoyed our ability to be individuals with nothing to hinder us from life, liberty, and happiness. That was not the reality for most of the writers of this collection of poems. Parenthetically, it hasn't been the reality for a lot of humans throughout history, but here we are. And so we're trying to figure out in what ways can we learn from these exiles, in what way can we, can we see ourselves in their story, in what way does our story relate to theirs? Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're fast forwarding now in the biblical narrative, roughly a thousand years to the Hebrew writer, who's an author that is anonymous. And this is a very famous passage for many of us, a well-known passage, the Hall of Faith, sometimes it's referred to. Some of your Bibles might have a subtitle like Faith in Action. Listen to this writer some thousand years after the biblical exiles writing these poems and songs and laments in the Psalter, writing about those people of faith, writing about their faith. In verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why is that significant, that they lived in tents? Because they didn't have a permanent home. They were foreigners, they were sojourners, they were exiles. For he was looking forward to the city, not a tent, but a city with foundation, something with permanence, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, 
who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All of these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Let that sink in for a moment. They died and didn't see what they believed in. Hearkening back to our conversation, learning how to be okay in the tension to swim in a sea of uncertainty. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We get a window from this writer into the faith of these exiles, these sojourners, these foreigners and aliens, these people who lived in tents physically and proverbially, that they were looking for something better, right? And so the question I think for us this morning, the modern wisdom is, are we living like aliens and strangers? Do we have an attitude of being foreigners and sojourners looking for a place of permanence? Or have we adopted a mindset that this is a place of permanence? The pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness is a place of permanence. Exiles from around the world for centuries have fled to this place. Because it sells itself as a place of permanence. And don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of America. I like having freedoms. I like being able to stand here and preach about Jesus and pretty much anything I want without much fear of persecution. I want to take advantage of those privileges. But I know that all that America has to offer me, wealth, freedom, individuality, consumerism, and all of the shackles that it sells as gifts are not a permanent residence. And so I think that this ancient wisdom literature has meaning for us perhaps more than ever before. Why? Because we are not shackled in Babylon. We've not been conquered by the Assyrians and have our exile and our despair right in front of our face. No, now we get to enjoy the time of Solomon, when the temple is grand and all the gold is there and we're enjoying nothing but great blessing. And it's so much easier to forget that in reality we are exiles. That in reality, in our view of God, that we really are foreigners and strangers here on this earth if we wish to be counted among these people of faith who understood that God does have a place of permanence but it's not quite here yet. And so as we read the book of Psalms, many of us relate to the emotional highs and lows. It's easy, perhaps one of the easiest parts of the Bible to just pick up and read. Why? Because somewhere you're going to relate to it. At some place you're going to read and go, I felt like that. And so there's this connectivity with this ancient Psalter, this ancient wisdom, poetic literature that's easy for us to connect with. And I think there's something beautiful about that. 
that we can jump into the Psalms, even without knowing really any of the Bible, and connect emotionally and learn how to emote to God and about God and struggles and sufferings and joy in the human experience. And so there's something comforting for me to think about mankind for thousands of years have been feeling the same things that I feel, wrestling with the same types of questions of faith, trying to understand who God is. And as we read these Psalms today, as we seek wisdom for our lives, I want to encourage us to read them through the mindset of the people who wrote them. And that is that we're exiles. We're foreigners. We're strangers here on this earth. And that we're not just looking for a heavenly place in our modern sort of context and concept of heaven, right? We just sang about it. I've got a home. Where is that home? And where is that? But is it? Is it really beyond? Is it somewhere out there? Is it up there? If you read the Bible carefully, it challenges that notion. That the kingdom of God, heaven, the place where King, where King Jesus rules and reigns, has already broken into this space right now. And that we as people of faith get to be a part of that kingdom. And we get to be conduits in which this heaven encroaches on the earth. All things will be made new. And yet already they are being made new. And they are being made new through us who have been invited to pledge our allegiance. Not to this dominion. Not to this culture. Not to this government or nation of this age but to a king eternal who says that we are exiles in the midst of this government, nation, and age. And we're invited to have this participation of heaven being now. And we struggle with that. There's tension, right? Because we go, well, where's heaven now? All these people just got shot for no reason. A friend of mine got to have a conversation with one of the victims who was shot at the Pulse Club in Orlando a few years back. If you guys don't know or don't remember, it was and I believe is still remains the largest mass shooting of death fatalities in our nation's history. And it was targeted at an LGBT bar and club. And a friend of mine got a chance to speak to a man who was shot there that night six times. And he survived. And he tells this story of hearing gunfire, ending up on the ground bleeding, and a woman next to him on the ground crying out in agony and fear. And he's trying to get her to be quiet because the gunman is going around executing the victims that are wounded. He's trying to get this woman to be quiet in this moment of great despair. And he watches the gunman come up and execute the woman while he plays dead and is silent. And the gunman shoots him again. And he survives. And in this moment 
of staring death literally in the face, this gay man at this gay club starts praying to God. Brought up in a Christian environment, in that moment, he cried out to God to forgive him. And he survived. And since that time, for the last two or three years, he's been leading a Christian ministry to help people in the LGBTQ community to seek Jesus and to know life that is really life. We're exiles and foreigners here. But we see so much tragedy, so much suffering and senseless violence and pain, even sometimes that we advertently or inadvertently partake in and participate in or encourage, we are not without sin. So where is this heaven? It's easy for us to think we're longing to go to it somewhere else rather than the biblical truth, which is, the writers of the Bible, the apostles of Jesus, saw the fact that Jesus' resurrection initiated this heaven now. And that heaven and earth were starting to meet. And there was a place of overlap right now that we get to be a part of through faith in that resurrection. And that through this faith, we are supposed to be living and embodying this heavenly life now. Which looks like an exile and a foreigner to those still in this world. And so as we read the Psalms, do we live as exiles and foreigners? There are a lot of lament Psalms in the Psalter. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to learn how to lament because there are things worthy of lamenting over. And sometimes we get trapped into this idea that, no, we just need to make everything feel happy and joyful. And we don't like suffering and pain. We don't want to lament or be sad. And so we try to consume media, pleasure, sex, drugs, alcohol. We try to numb the pain rather than accepting the invitation to truly lament. To break in our hearts where God's hearts break. And so, as you'll see on your notes, there's a homework assignment on the back page. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to invite you to write your own psalm, your own poetic lament or song of praise or prayer. And we're all going to be in different place, places emotionally right now, right? So maybe you're at a place that you need to lament and cry out and wrestle and struggle, perhaps even accusing God of something. God invites us to join these exiles in this poetic form of emoting. Perhaps you're in a place of great joy and happiness and jubilation and all things are right in the world and you got that promotion or you're living in Asheville now and it's gorgeous here. Write a song of praise, praising God for his many blessings. Wherever we're at on the emotional spectrum of life, we can learn how to poetically communicate just like our ancient brothers and sisters. And through doing this, we can learn how to have wisdom to live as exiles in this world, not just simply waiting back passively for us to go somewhere else to heaven, but to actively participate right now in heaven, breaking into this place through our lives of love, through our lives of hope, and through our lives of faith. Let's pray as we close out.
God, you are very merciful and loving and kind. And yet there's a lot of jacked up stuff in this world. And there are certain things that we can make sense of and that we can point to a cause or a reason. And there are some things that we can't. Father, I ask that you would help me, help us to be honest with you about our pain, our doubt, our confusion, our joy, our jubilation, our happiness, our gratitude, that we would walk with you in the emotional highs and lows of life and that we would participate with you as you invite us to live in your kingdom right here, right now, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of kindness and compassion, a kingdom of not showing favoritism or prejudice, a kingdom that is united. And that, Father, through us and our lives, that you will bring many more into your kingdom. That one day when all things are perfectly and finally reconciled, when all things are comp uh, when all things are reconciled and commensurated into your kingdom, that God, that we can take such joy and pleasure that you would privilege us and honor us to call us in the first place. That while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. We're so moved by that. And we pray, Father, as was said earlier, that your love would continue to motivate us to love as you love, to be indignant over the things that you were indignant about, to see every human being and everything that you've created as good and an image bearer of you, worthy of dignity and respect and love. Help us, Father, to be exiles and foreigners in this land, to not pledge allegiance to any of the lowercase g gods of money, consumerism, or individuality, or the world's idea of freedom. For it is only in you can we be truly free. Thank you, God, for this church family that you've brought us into. Thank you that you didn't call us to be sojourners and foreigners alone, but that we can be a community of exiles, even in the midst of great blessing and not feeling like exiles, God, help us to know that this is not our home, but that we can bring your home to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.